Cole at Jen Cole ICT, and I'm co-founder of Depict Media and community manager for Social Media Examiner, and welcome to Making a Marketer. And I'm Elizabeth Glau. I'm a product marketing manager at Sciencio, maker of EventBots. You can find me on Twitter and other platforms at Elizabeth Glau. And this is Making a Marketer. Hello, hello. I am Megan Powers at Megan Powers. And this Making a Marketer show today is brought to you by my company, Powers of Marketing, Strategic Communication Consulting. And that word strategy will come into play today because that's the theme of the show, digital marketing strategy, which we'll talk about is or should be absolutely integrated and linked with the rest of your marketing strategy, right? So we'll we'll dig into that. Happy to be recording today with two rock star women who also happen to be marketers. And because it's International Women's Day, when you listen to this, it won't be, but that's the day that we're recording. So I had to mention it. <laughs> so our guests are Amanda Rob. Robinson and Kiki Lutalien. Did I get that right? You did. Nice. Yes. See, I, I should have asked. All right. So I'm going to intro them and then I'm going to let them say a little something about themselves. So I'm going to first intro Amanda Robinson. She's owner of Social Savvy Society, digital marketing services and strategy from Facebook ads to social media content strategy. She will help increase your digital footprint. She's a digital and social media marketing hero, closet graphic designer, and she makes business life easier for the less digital savvy within small business and real estate. And I also like to say how I know people. And I met Amanda at Social Media Marketing World last year. We had uh, oodles of, of people in common. So it was only appropriate that we would get to know each other a little bit. And then our second guest is Kiki Litalian, founder and CEO of Amplified Growth and host of Association Chat, which is how I got to know her later. But originally we met at IMAX America. You were gallivanting around with Tahira and yes. recording people in the stuff. <laughs> so I just thought that was so awesome. And I, your presence on camera, I was like, wow, she's so awesome. I, I need to know her. So, and then just to further explain your company, she's Amplified Growth is a DC-based digital marketing consultancy specializing in SEO, social media, and content strategy for associations and commercial clients. Welcome, Amanda and Kiki. Thank you so much. So happy to be here. Thank you guys so much. So, uh, Amanda, do you want to, anything I didn't mention about, you want to mention about your, your bad self? Oh, you live in Canada. I didn't mention that. <laughs> yes, I'm a. up north in Canada right now, A, and it is <laughs> Uh, I, I was sad to leave San Diego because I had the, the rare chance in the middle of winter to wear flip-flops and then flew back here. It's snowing back to winter boots. I want you to intro me for everything. Can I just, <laughs> can I just, get, can I just take that little snippet and just use sure. it everywhere? Thank you. Oh, no, I, think you <laughs> I think you summed it up. So I run Social Savvy Society, helping make business life easier for the less digitally savvy. And I am a complete digital marketing geek, self-proclaimed geek. That's awesome. And she, we will talk about chatbots later and she She's a chat botter. So that was the talk of the town at Social Media Marketing World last week. And then Kiki, what about you? You know, the only thing that I think you didn't mention, which I have to agree. Yeah, come walk around and introduce me all the time because that <laughs> is rock star introduction. But yeah, association chat is a chat that I've been doing online since 2009. So I'm approaching 10 years of doing this thing. So I counted it up the other day, you guys. I've led uh, since 2009, approximately 468 online conversations just for association chat. But I think the claim to fame, and, and this proves that the most pornographic sounding hashtag can have a life. The hashtag for association chat, you guys, is ass in chat. 
No <laughs> joke. And it is the number one hashtag for the association industry. I've always thought that was so funny. I know. So kudos I for know. That. <laughs> there you go. I own you're, it. You're my, you're my new hero. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even realize that's so funny. I looked at it. I'm so, so pure. <laughs> I didn't even. No, you know what? You're not dirty minded. So, you know, like every, all the rest of us are in the gutter immediately. We're like ass and chat. Yeah. Well, and it's evolved, right? Because yours was the first Twitter chat that I ever even saw. I didn't even know what a Twitter chat was. And then you kind of went over to Blab. And then so yeah. talk a little bit real quick about what how, how it's evolved and what how you're doing it now. Yeah, good question. So it started out, yeah, absolutely as a, as a Twitter chat. And after tweet chatting it up, there's only so, com- you can only get so complicated on the, on Twitter, you know, now even, even expanding your, your character limit. So then I went to Blab and I have done this live streaming interview series, weekly interviewing thought leaders in the, in the association space since October of 2015. And of course, you know, in the live streaming space, when the use case case changes, then you have to jump and bring your audience with you. So that's been a challenge that I have brought people with me from Twitter to Blab to Huzzah, huzzah, um, and now to Crowdcast and then you know, when I do Crowdcast and it also goes live streams to Facebook Live and YouTube and Periscope and all the... Yeah, that's the best way, I think, especially, yeah. And then the, the email reminders help. I couldn't get on yesterday, but I appreciated getting that email yeah. because, you know, we all get so busy and you could literally be on a tweet chat or a live pretty much every hour of the day now, I think. <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah, it is. And so, I mean, which as long as you're getting value, cool, but you kind of have to pick and choose, right? So you can actually get some other work done. <laughs> right on. So, okay. So I want to start off with both of you had other careers before you had your own businesses. So I want to chat a little bit with y'all about what it was in your career that propelled you to start your own business. And I'm going to let Amanda go first. Well, that's a fabulous question. I always felt like I was swimming upstream. So I used to work in corporate marketing. I used to work for a national retailer in their marketing department with more traditional marketing. So working with, you know, marketing campaigns that were, you know, seasonal, bilingual, working on signage, working on all sorts of lovely things that were, that fit very well in the traditional market. And I was bored to tears. And then I found on top of that, that my natural working hours, I'm most creative at midnight to 3am. That's when I thrive. And so I found that trying to fit myself into the nine to five and trying to keep everybody happy and trying to to keep myself happy, it just wasn't, I wasn't happy. So when I finally figured out that I had a real flair for digital, digital marketing, and this sort of, this has transpired over the last, I'd say eight years. And it's finally kind of hit home when I just felt in my job, like everything I was doing was so wrong, even though I knew that I had the skills to do everything so right. So when I finally quit the nine to five, took the leap, took the entrepreneur leap, went out on my own, it was the most terrifying thing I've ever done. The best thing I've ever done. And I, you know, looking back at it, I couldn't be happier with my decision. However, I will say, had I known at the time, if I knew then what I know now, I think I would have have been too afraid to take the leap because the challenges that come with it are more than you could have ever anticipated. 
but sitting in my current shoes right now as an entrepreneur, running my own business and doing what makes my heart sing on a day-to-day basis. I mean, I would never trade it for the world. Ding, ding, ding. I, I totally agree. Kiki, what about you? I mean, it was definitely greed. It was a mixture of greed and this promise of, of freedom that I thought that having my own business would allow me because I had a person who offered to become my first client who was willing to pay essentially what my salary was at that time. And I mean, come on. I was like, Hey, hey. Oh, and I could just, I was just seeing it. I was like, I just get a couple more clients like that. It'd be awesome. I'll be so rich. And of course, you know, like I didn't think through anything and jumped out and was all proud of myself. And of course, three months later when the relationship sours and I'm like, Oh crap, that's right. I have one client that's really my bread and butter. And then a couple little tiny things that, you know, wouldn't even pay for my groceries. And yeah, and it got really scary really fast. And so I've got, I've given this a couple, a couple of goes. I mean, like I went for a whole year in 2012 with my own business and then ran screaming away from it, thought that I would do the nine to five thing again. And then a year later it was like, yeah, I can't give up on that. I can't give up on that, that dream. And I think I, I think I have a better idea about how to make this happen again, but I won't lie. I mean, some, it gets, it gets scary sometimes, right? When you're out on your own and it's like, you'll be riding it high. Like this month is awesome. And I've got all this stuff and I'm like, Oh yeah. Okay. I think I, but I'm, I'm learning how to navigate, I think better three years later, you know, at this point, I think I'm learning as I go along and getting a little bit better at the game. Yeah. Everyone on the panel is nodding their heads because we all have our own business or have had our own businesses. And so totally can relate to everything that the two of you just said. Yeah. I personally got relieved of my duties at a a job that um, I had a big passion for. And that's kind of how, and then I, you know, was trying to find a job and I, I approached this restaurant group that I used to work for when I saw what they weren't doing on social and they just happened to been start looking. They just started looking to see if they needed someone dedicated. So I got that client and I was like, Hey, maybe if I get one or two more clients, it's kind of the same thing. Like you mm-hmm. just said, I've been super blessed by the, uh, that knock what I'm still working with them, you know, four and a half years later. So that recurring revenue thing, I was like, this is where it's at. And I got one other client, which for the last four years has been the bulk of my income. And then he decided he didn't want to be in business anymore. So that's a recent development. So I'm, I'm now, I'm in that scary spot now where thankfully I've had a lot of people reach out to me and I've got project work, but I do, I go through that. I go back and forth on, do I want all my eggs in, in two baskets because it's so much easier to manage, right? And it's predictable. Or do I want more variety and do I want to not always, to not, to not get comfortable, right? Like to not rest on my laurels. Cause I'll be honest, that's really what happened. I was like, Oh, I already wanted to grow my business this year. And so I was already kind of had, you know, my feelers out. Then I was like, Oh no, (laughs) it kind of, it changed the game a bit. So yeah. And I'm, I'm just moving myself in the opposite direction where I was spread way too thin. And now I'm starting to hyper-focus. I'm, I'm taking on fewer clients in a much larger capacity, which is, has my head screaming. No, 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 this is the wrong way. This is counterintuitive to what I feel like I should be doing. But at the same time, I've, made a commitment to myself for this year that I'm going to take everything that I do and refine and refine and refine those processes. Processes, Canadian instead of process. Ah, yeah. um, to make it, I spot a Canadian every time. Process yeah. project. <laughs> so I'm going to make it, I'm going to make my processes as completely ironclad as I possibly can, knowing what I know 
and then, and then take that and then start to branch that back out again. I feel like I was starting to branch too soon. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. Well, and always keeping you, your, your feelers out. Right. And always entertaining conversations. Like people always ask me like, well, are you willing to talk? Yeah. I'm always willing to talk about it. It might not be the right thing for the both of us or whatever, you know, or I might have someone I can refer you to, but I'm always willing to have a conversation because you just never know. It's going to come. Fantastic. Okay. So to kind of get right to the heart of it, as you create strategies with your clients, how do you go about doing that? Cause that's, we should all be starting there, right? Like start with the end and what are they trying to accomplish? And mm-hmm. so how do you, how do you all go about, you know, do you have them fill out a survey? Do you audit everything? Do you do a full, full blown discovery meeting with them? Do you do all of these things? Kiki, how do you start off when you, when you get a new client? Yeah. So it's a, it's a great question because I was just going through this earlier today and, and it's a little bit of a combination because, you know, and I, I know you guys will agree with me that a client will come to you or a potential client will come to you and they think that they know what they're looking for. They think they have an idea about what they need. And then you're there to basically test that and see if actually that's what they need or if there's something, maybe something else that, or some variation that would, would actually meet what they need better. And so I do a combination. So usually the type of work that I do, I go in and it's a little bit of an audit where, you know, it's not super intense unless you know, we're getting into, that's what they're paying for or something, but it's an audit of everything from analytics to, you know, their social media channels to their SEO and just getting an idea about, you know, what's going on with them. But then even beyond all that, it's really, what are they trying to accomplish? And and so if they're trying to like reach a younger demographic and they're just convinced that they need to be on Snapchat or Instagram or whatever, I don't know, you're a membership association. Is that really what you're trying to do? Are people who are going into the, into the finance industry, are they just hanging out and this is when they want to hear from you and where they want to hear from you. Right. And so, so a lot of times, yeah, it's a little bit of an audit, but it's a little bit of sort of really getting down to why it is that they're trying to accomplish what they want to accomplish with the project. And then sometimes pushing back to say, hmm, I don't know, is this really what we want the project to be? Because maybe we need to you know, veer it into this pivot, pivot, we'll do lean startup, pivot. Maybe we need to pivot what this project is and maybe go in a different direction. Right. Yeah. Amanda, what about you? I am almost identical to Kiki in the sense that I start with uh, auditing their social media accounts, their Google Analytics, their Google AdWords, looking at their SEO and having some very, very frank conversations about their budget. What have they been, where have they been spending so far? Where do they want to get to? And finding out if they actually have the internal resources to make this happen. I've learned the hard way that I am not a one-man show in the sense that I can provide incredible strategy that will make them tons and tons of money. But if they don't have the resources to partner with me or allow me to partner with them or their contractors in a way that we can bring that strategy to life, then it may not be the right fit or I need to scale that strategy right down to marry up very well with the resources they have. For example, if I'm recommending using more video content uh, to drive more eyeballs into their remarketing audiences, but they don't have the resources and has to create those videos or the budget for that, right. then we need to, to, to look at the whole picture. So it's a, it's a very bird's eye level view at their actual data. And then those conversations with where they've been, where they want to go, and are they actually prepared to take those steps? 
Yeah. Great, great points. Yeah. Cause that's one of the things I can just audit everything and create a plan and a strategy for you that, that then it's up to you. I can hand it to you and you can, you can either do it or not like, you know, and, but knowing up front, like, okay, this is going to be a month project or a two month project or, or whatnot. Cause I would on top of my big clients, I would take on those, those sorts of things. But yeah, you can tell, I could always tell like, uh, well, we're, we only want to commit to 90 days. It's like, okay, well, you're not really about, you're not really that serious. Yeah. About what you want to accomplish. So I know that right off the bat and I've fired clients because I just, you know, it's important to be happy with who you're working with, first of all. (laughs) And I've I've learned the hard way. I've learned the hard way too, by bringing on clients that, you know, I feel like, oh, hey, I can, I can make up the difference here. I can make them successful. But in, at the end of the day, you know, it's my job to make them successful, but it's also my job to get results. And if I find that I cannot get results for somebody because of all of these external factors, it's my reputation on the line. Plus my, my passion is to get those results. So if I'm not getting the results, I am miserable and I don't want to play anymore. So right. I've learned that yeah. the hard way and it's, it's led me to ask those more, uh, more intense questions up front. Yeah. I, I found that like over time, my approach to these things, uh, projects and clients and client relationships, it's changed, you know, over time. And I wish that I, I wish that I knew then what I know now, you know, where it's like, it's really creating this relationship that hopefully is such a, a creative and beautiful and innovative thing where you can help them to, to not just meet and accomplish what they're trying to achieve, but like that you're proud of, you're proud of this thing. You're proud of the relationship you have with them, that every time you're working with them, that they're able to then go back and say, you know what, we've got to figure out more things to like bring Kiki in because Kiki's amazing. And so let's find work for her. That's what I want every project to be. But when I first started, I was so focused on getting the sale and like getting money in my bank account that I think that I, I like shortchanged that longer, that longer term kind of goal. And now I'm, I'm really looking for more meaningful projects, you know, stuff that challenges me and is exciting. So that, that is a really good segue into what I kind of want to talk to both of you guys about that um, Amanda, I kind of want to start with you on this one. So, so talking about personal branding, that is a ginormous buzzword right now. Everywhere you go, personal branding, personal branding, personal branding. So with, with you, Amanda, I would like to kind of feel out how important is personal branding to you, Amanda? It is, it is very important. It is very important on a, on a lot of angles. I had started my business and was, you know, moving along with it just fine. I had clients, I had uh, lots of activity going on. But among, I, I found that until I actually started aligning my personal branding and putting some effort into a website, some professional photography and keeping, keeping things consistent across all platforms until I started to do that. I wasn't getting nearly the same amount of peer-to-peer and industry referrals as I am now. And I'm finding that a higher quality of client is coming out of those industry referrals versus people who are just finding me because they know me through somebody else in a, in a more casual way. So when, once I started using the personal branding angle and focusing more on it, then the quality of everything just moved up with it. Yeah. And you have a, you have an adorable little sidekick, right? Oh. I'm sure that I've noticed in your personal branding. <laughs> so this, this, was a bit about a hot topic is I do have my, my small dog 
who is not very small. He looks like a he looks like a little baby deer. He's a rescue dog from Turks and Caicos, and he is my he's my complete sidekick. I work from home, and he goes everywhere with me. But when I when I went to get my personal branding shots done, the photographer knows me very well, and she basically said, you know, up a couple days before the shoot, she's like, you know what? I've been thinking about this. You really need to bring Small Dog. He's a he. I mean, him and you go go hand in hand. You can't have your brand without Small Dog. It is the same. So I was so. So happy that she did that. And then this topic has come up over and over. You see people talk about personal branding and, you know, personal branding isn't a picture of you and your cat or you and your dog or you and your kids. But I think, I don't know, I think I've threaded the needle in this unique little way with, uh, with my sidekick who goes kayaking with me, who goes everywhere with me and, and is in, in pretty much all of my lives. Well, he pops into all your videos, so he might as well be in your pictures. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I think it's an amazing thing. I think he's a huge part of, of your brand. I mean, your personal brand and your professional brand. I think that this is absolutely amazing what you've done. Thank you. It makes me happy to hear that because I have had a little bit of heat from other people here and there, you know, <laughs> on that personal brand debate topic. But, you know, whether it's uh, whether it's the fact that I stepped up to the plate and started creating a personal brand or the fact that it's small dog and he's way more photogenic than I am and steals the show every time. But whichever of those combinations it is, it's working. Yeah, indeed it is. I think that it, it makes you peer to peer wise even more, much more approachable. I feel like, I mean, they can get to know you very easily. And I think that small dog is an easy talking point to lead to that. So I think that's pretty cool that you've done that, Amanda. Thank you. Very admirable. Uh, Kiki, how important has your personal branding been to you, to what you do? So I have a really great story for this and that is, and it has to do with the fact, I know, I'm sure that you guys can relate to the work that you do on branding yourself is probably not as much of a focus as what you do for other people, right? When you go and you do. So cobblers, children have no shoes. I got these great pictures done. And when I, when I got them back, I hadn't thought through any kind of rebrand or anything like that. All I did before I had my website redone or anything like that, while the website was being redesigned, I had the website designer put one of the pictures up on my website. And it's just like, you know, under, you know, basically under construction, come back here. And then I just started keeping some of those pictures, like adding some of those pictures on my social profiles and stuff. And I didn't, I didn't send out any kind of mailing. I didn't say anything like, you know, trying to drum up business. But because of the visual changes people were seeing, just the pictures, that's all they had to see. They're like, hey, you've been really busy. Hey, you've been really active. You've been doing all kinds of stuff. And they're like coming to me. It's this idea of being, you know, like, oh, wow, you're so successful. And all that changed, the only difference, I, I, I had people coming to me, the only thing that changed was a series of, of uh, images. So professional portraiture, I think, everybody should have that added to their budget, no matter like if you're just starting out or whatever, make the room for it because it absolutely will drive. You don't have to, I can, I can tell you, you don't have to change a word of anything. Just change your pictures and it's going to be driving people your direction. Promise. Yeah. That is so apparently it goes without saying that you both have noticed a huge difference in your difference in your digital persona because of consistent a new consistency with your personal branding completely totally 
entirely. Yeah. (laughs) That I I think that is so powerful. Something that simple to like set you up for amazing success in the future. You know, it's, it's amazing for me to hear Kiki talk about this because I live in my own little world, right? I, I'm just, I don't have a roadmap for how to do this, how to, how to entrepreneur properly. I don't know. <laughs> I, I'm learning as I go. And it just feels so good to hear that somebody else has gone through the same experience and has experienced the similar, similar things without, you know, it wasn't part of my scheme of, I'm just going to get these personal branding shots and everything's going to be better. Yeah. But it, 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 I was blown away at exactly what Kiki said. You, you just start putting some, some, professional shots up here and there and sort of sprinkling them through your, through your social channels. And all of a sudden people just start treating you with an elevated sense of business respect. Yeah. I got more speaking, like I got more requests for speaking engagements and all kinds of stuff like that. And it was totally based, but it was a really good test because I didn't change anything else except for add these pictures. Amanda, you and I, I think we need to become best friends now. I think that basically- Yeah. <laughs> I, I think you're like, you're, you're my soulmate like on the other side of, of the border. Yeah. Definitely. After this podcast, we gotta, we gotta talk. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I love this. I love this. Some of you guys are soulmates and you're brought together by making a marker. That's pretty amazing on international women's day on international amazing. women's day. I know it's just meant to be. <laughs> That's so cool. So, okay. So you guys have both seen a a huge impact from your own personal branding and your own consistency. How are you guys taking that over to, to your client, to your clients and, and showing them how powerful this can be? Is this something that you guys are actively doing in your own communities and with your own clientele? Amanda, I'll have you go first. So when I start working with clients, I typically go after clients or start engaging with clients who already have a personal brand established and who are already light years ahead of all of this. And that's that's sort of where my focus is. And if I come across someone who really wants to um, engage my services and they're not at that level yet, it's usually more of a coaching call one-on-one session versus the, the full intensive um, dive in and, and really elevate all of the results. So it, it, it does make a big difference. And I, you know, I don't really focus too much on other people's personal branding other than when I first start engaging with the clients, that's sort of a prerequisite that, and that they need to be active on Facebook already have Facebook ad spend and have had some experience in the PPC world. Wow. That's pretty amazing. So you have kind of prerequisites for your clientele. That is cool. I think that sets a really nice expectation and kind of cuts out a little bit of the time suck that a lot of us experience when it comes to you know, education in the beginning and trying to lead the client to water and see if they'll drink. (laughs) (laughs) What about you, Kiki? You know, mine's, my engagements, it's a little bit different because I work a lot. My, my sort of uh, area of expertise is really associations and nonprofits. And that's where I spend a lot of my time. So it's a lot of, a lot of times it's a lot of risk averse organizations and maybe, maybe they have a leader who is charismatic or they have some, some people who are sort of the champions of their industry who they want to get involved and and that kind of thing. And other times they're very risk averse and uh, scared. I have to tell you this, this funny story actually about that, because back in the day when we were all trying to force our, our, uh, like the CEO or the executive director, the president to get on Twitter and like represent the brand and all of this stuff, which I know we're still like, you still kind of do that. It was so funny, you guys, because I was trying, I was trying to convince the president of this organization to get on Twitter. And he said, 
okay, you know, Kiki, I'm going to do it. But I have a hard time believing that the president of the United States would take the time to tweet. (laughs) And now, you know, I look at it and I'm like, hmm, you know, if only, if only that were true. But it's (laughs) it's like, seriously, uh, I think it's funny because I do think it's important for the for people to be consistent and to understand and appreciate the value of of building uh, a more cohesive brand that it, it makes people feel safer. It makes them believe, uh, you know, that the the organization, the brand itself, is trustworthy. But it's really hard to convince some people when they've just never done it like that before, or they don't maybe, maybe they don't trust themselves or their people to actually represent the brand well. So I'm, I'm kind of going in that direction. It's interesting. I run into trouble, but I do try. Yeah. I've had clients who have asked me to write their stuff for them. Like they're willing to have it come from them, but they're not, they're not super comfortable in how to word things. And so I think that can help, right? Like curating a little content calendar for them. Yeah, for sure. For sure. For the different platforms, especially because like what they might write on LinkedIn would be different from what they, you know, would put on Twitter or whatever. Yeah. I always get nervous about that sort of thing. The whole ghost. It's like, it's one thing to ghostwrite. It's another thing like ghostwriting a tweet. All right. Ghostwriting, the, the further, the more you get into it. And when people approach me about like ghostwriting, like building their persona online, this idea of who they are online beyond like just a channel or two, it's like, okay, I think, you know, hands off. I, I can't be really, you know, very quickly you get into it being too inauthentic. And so and that's, yeah, that's, that's, one, that's one of the reasons that I avoid that is that same thing. It needs to be authentic. And what I find more successful is if I can teach and inspire the client to take the reins themselves, I, I'll hold them by the hand and I'll slowly transition them and work, work our way up. But I find that my, my philosophy of the way that I work and operate is that I want to get clients up to speed as quickly and safely as I can so that if I get hit by a bus tomorrow, they can carry on and they own all of their assets. They own all of the growth that they've had with it and all of the success that they've had with it. And they can continue moving forward with that success. Smart. See, your people, your, your audience is going to hear this as a podcast layer. They don't get the great gift of being able to see her face light up as she was just saying that. <laughs> like, Amanda, like Amanda, like where do I send my money? Because like you just, you just were so like it was a it was a beautiful thing her whole face like lit up she's like really you can tell she really cares about what she does I'm extremely extremely passionate about what I do I don't know if you can tell yeah yeah Yeah. that's rad okay so I we're gonna we're gonna switch gears a little bit here um from all the touchy-feely pretty branding stuff and going into the money right so (laughs) let's talk a little bit about how you how you show your clients return Elizabeth has some questions yeah this is definitely the not touchy-feely segment uh, talking, about, <laughs> talking about ROI, right? So, Kiki, uh, let's start with you and just tell me a little bit about, you know, what kind of metrics do you consider to be good metrics? What are you using with your, and it might be different actually for the two of you because you do have different types yeah. of metrics. So what kinds of metrics do you share with your clients? What does success look like for you and your clients? Well, so, so for me, um, it does, it does vary quite a bit, but I have, because I do have some commercial clients, one is an entrepreneur who owns a series of jewelry stores and they specifically came to me because they wanted to bring in more business to this higher end store that is different from what they're known for. Right. 
totally different brand, new location, different name. So there's not a lot of crossover, right? And there's not any name recognition there. And so for them, it's very easy because, hey, whatever work, you know, we do together should end up in people, okay, increasing awareness and more, more people going to the store. I mean, all they care about really, even beyond awareness is, are they selling more? You know, do they have more customers? And so my job then is to figure out how that ties to whatever kind of promotions, you know, how, how are we then able to track what I'm doing online for them to how many people are actually going to the store, how many people building the traffic so that they can see that more people are, are coming in from those, those places like social media where I'm posting things. And, you know, they need to hear the stories. They need, there needs to be something that is tying that work to dollars, right? That's what they care about. Um, for an, or another organization that's a client, it's an association they specifically are trying to bring in student members, more student members. And so in trying to figure out how to build that, it's things like, is there an increase in scholarships, uh, which is one of the things that they offer to potential student uh, members? Is there an increase in scholarship applications that can be tied directly to the work that I've been doing? Is there an increase in the student, like student membership applications? And figuring out whether it's through uh, using pixels or whether it's using something else, how to track that conversion is then what I have to do to prove my ROI. And you guys, I mean... You know, you know this game, but maybe there's a listener or two who doesn't. It's not about the Vandy me- metrics. It's not about the followers. You know, the number of followers. I was just gonna say, I didn't hear you say anything about number of Twitter followers or yeah. number of yeah. impressions or anything like that. So that's yeah, great. yeah. No, it's it's worth being said because I I don't think that it's worth being a lot said. of people still are in that world. I'm sure you're you're audience, your listeners are all super savvy and they already, they're like, yeah, yeah, we know. But well, part of the, the reason it's called making a marketer, is <laughs> you want this to be a show for people who are from all levels, like just starting out to, to super pros. So it's, yep. I, I, I think everything's worth saying. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, totally. How about you, Amanda? And I love this question, especially when we talk vanity metrics. That's one of the first things that, uh, that, comes to me with new clients. They want to know, you know, what, what are our targets for the amount of likes on Facebook, on Twitter? Um, you know, what, what is our measure of success? And in my world, that measure of success is a huge complex combination of things that does get difficult to explain in non-geek speak, but I always try my best. It involves, uh, stages of increasing engagement on social. So increasing those likes, comments, shares, increasing that reach, Mm -hmm. the number of eyeballs that are seeing that content, and then pixel tracking everything to the nines. When I first start working with somebody, I track everything down to like a super granular level. That's almost a bit overkill, but if I can measure the success on traffic coming from a particular ad style on Facebook that arrives on your website, that creates a higher quality of traffic, people sticking around longer, lower bounce rate, uh, and people engaging with your website content in a way that eventually leads to a phone call or leads to somebody filling out a form, being able to track that entire user experience from start to finish on a grand level, it 
it's so important for me to see the big picture on all pieces and seeing them all work in harmony together. And the way that I'm, I'm measuring those, I'm measuring them all natively on all of the, the different platforms. So I'm looking at your Google analytics every day, mm-hmm. several times a day. I'm looking at your Facebook insights. I'm looking at your Facebook ad results and slicing and dicing it 300 different ways until I'm really sure that I've, that I've really triangulated everything. And I'm looking at how your audience is responding to everything. How are they actually, what, you know, what's the, the temperature of what they're actually saying to you and engaging with you? And how is that, how are you inspiring them? Are the efforts that you are putting out there resulting in you inspiring and providing value to the people that you are trying to connect with? You can put as much effort and paid advertising in behind content as you want, but it needs to be efficient. So for example, with a, with a real estate client that I'm working with, I know know, two years ago, putting a hundred dollars on an ad would have reached maybe 3,500 people and maybe resulted in one phone call or one, one showing. Now I know if I put a hundred dollars behind an ad, I can reach upwards of 30,000 people and get an insane amount of engagement. But that is because we have been at every step of the way, continually measuring every ounce of uh, success, finding where all of those bottlenecks are across all of the different platforms and continually, you know, week over week over week, chipping away at refining the process to make it a smooth flow and understanding what's moving the needle and what's not. So it does, it does change over time. So when I first start engaging with somebody, my first job is we need to start building up your audiences. So in their mind, they're like, how do we get more followers? I'm like, no, we need to get more eyeballs on your content so that we can create some remarketing audiences so that we can make you successful in the long run tomorrow, not today. So it's, it's playing the long game. So what I'm looking for as a digital marketer is very different than what the client thinks that they're looking for. And sometimes those are very difficult conversations to, to bridge the gap and, and make sure that we're all on the same page and that they have the confidence in me to do the job that needs to be done, you know, playing the long-term game. Yeah. It's like you have to create that little pathway for them and like, you know, sort of the little breadcrumb trail so that they can see how everything connects because they don't necessarily, they don't actually, because they don't see people going from that ad to their web site to the net, to the page where they sign up and register, they don't get how important it is. All they, all they, you know, they're interested in clicks. Well, that doesn't mean anything unless it actually is, is, you know, driving, exactly. driving your engagement or, or moving to that conversion that they're looking exactly. for. Or taking, or taking a look a little bit deeper, you know, for example, if they're just focusing on clicks, you know, if Facebook is saying you had a thousand clicks from that ad onto your web website. But then we look at your website and Google analytics is saying, Oh, actually we only had 700 that actually hit the website. And then out of that 700, if we only have them, you know, looking at one page per session and lasting for 15 seconds on page, it tells a very, very different story than you got a thousand clicks. Yeah. And I, uh, I, I would throw in here, uh, our mid month show. We just, uh, Megan just did with, uh, Will, um, from endless events was on automate like marketing automation and content marketing. So y'all should check that out as well. Cause I think a lot of what you guys are touching on, you know, definitely applies to that. So we're not going to, you know, dive into that any more deeply, but so a little, a little bit more in the direction of touchy feely again. Well, actually I love the topic of professional development. So for me, it's, it's touchy feely, but I know for some people that, you know, the idea of going out and getting education and getting, you know, networking with other people is not as fun, right? Especially well, if you're more introverted and, whatnot. Well, yeah. But if you attend social media marketing world, there's lots of touching and feeling (laughs) 
I'm just saying. <laughs> Lots of hugs so, and selfies. That's what I meant. So that's how I got sick with this cold. Yeah, probably, probably. So, so Amanda, I'll start with you. What are, so, you know, obviously social media marketing world, but do you have any other, you know, particular sources where you go for your education and, and network? The number one source that I found the most extremely valuable, and I'm about to drop like a huge knowledge bomb here. So everybody listen up. Okay. This is this, I can attribute this to over half of my success. Networking one-on-one with individual marketers within our communal social circles and jumping on a video call with them and saying hi, introducing yourself and, and making these positive connections, providing value for people, even though I have nothing to get in return or taking opportunities when somebody gives me an olive branch and says, I'm happy to show you that. Would you like to jump on a call? Always say yes, find the time, make the time, make those connections, build your personal network so that when opportunities come about, like going to social media marketing world, my network has increased, you know, five times over in the last year alone, just from making those personal connections and then being able to, to sort of solidify those connections when you actually get to see them in person, give those high fives, give those hugs and continue that open line of communication for knowledge and learning. Outside of that, I do spend, I don't spend a lot of money on taking other people's courses. I occasionally I do, if I have a lot of confidence in their resources, if it's like a pay-per-click course, you know, refreshing on AdWords, using the actual AdWords and Google Analytics training resources that are available through Google and continuing, just continuing these conversations. I mean, I have, I posted on Facebook last night, it was late, late o'clock that I was geeking out doing SEO keyword research. And I had, I had an outpouring of complete knowledge from people in my network offering, Oh, Hey, have you tried this tool? Are you using this? Oh, I personally use this. I find it better than that. And I just learned so much from that one comment alone that, you know, I'm so grateful for the network of amazing, talented people that I have been very blessed to be a part of. And so that's the the one big, big takeaway is that building that personal network with one-to-one relationships through, you know, through those circles of people that you you care about and want to network with, put in the effort, find the time, make the time, have those conversations. Don't be shy. Would you say because of your network, you're able to, like every time you need something or you have a question, you literally just post it on your own platforms and then your network comes to you, right? Like yes. that's kind of, that's what I'm getting from that example that you shared. That one example, yes. But if I, if I'm to the point now where I, I've, I've been fortunate enough to build, build such an amazing network that if I do have a specific question or something I want to tackle or something I'm a little unsure of and need to learn. I have specific people that I'll reach out to directly and say, hi, Susan, I know that you are amazing with Google Analytics. I'm wondering if I can ask you this very specific question so that I'm not leaving it general and wasting their time or making them have to fit me in somewhere. It's being very direct and clear. Hi, this is what I need help with. Would you mind helping me and and going straight to the source? within the network that I've built or more casually throwing it out there on my social feed and seeing, you know, seeing what happens. That's, that's more for, I say that angle is just more for the fun of engaging with the people that I really like chatting with. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I saw that. And I, and I saw, I noticed it's funny cause I don't think you were really, you weren't asking for help. You were just no. letting everyone know what you're doing. And then like, but then you got tons of, tons of awesomeness from it. Really valuable, really, really valuable input from that, which was completely unexpected and just really highlights how much I appreciate the network of people that I've surrounded myself with. And I would say over 90% of that network has been built digitally. That's great. Well, that's, that's great to know that it can still work, you know, because oftentimes I find myself lamenting that, 
Twitter and social media just doesn't work the same way it did, you know, when it was new and, you know, the people that were on it early, you know, we were able to, I mean, I'm sure that's how Kiki and I, you know, met, uh, you know, the beginning for sure. And I often lament that it just doesn't work that way anymore. So I'm happy that, that we still have these shining examples of, you know, it's still working that way. So how about you, Kiki? Are there any particular sources for education or, you know, places you go to, to build your network? Yeah, I, so I am a learning junkie. I actually, okay. It's not just books. It's audible, like audiobooks. It's podcasts. If I'm, if I'm exercising, I'm listening to a podcast or if I'm in the car, it's audible if, you know, and so, so there are, there are a number of different shows. Like this show is clearly going to be one of the ones I listen to all the time from here on out forever. Yeah. But, but then I also, I actually do take a lot of like online courses, mostly because I, I think when I write stuff down, when I actually go through and learn just through this structured sort of format, I mean, some of them are better than others, but I purposefully will take like a couple of really good in-depth online courses every year, just because I think that it, it keeps me sharp. And usually it's on something where it's like, oh, okay, what am I not? So I feel like I'm a master at Google Analytics, but what's happened, you know, that what changes have they gone through? What new tools should I check out? And, um, cause there's always something new and new features there being, you can't keep up with the tools cause the, the features always change, you know? So, um, so yeah, I mean, I, everything, I, I feel like I can't stop learning because I'm afraid that <laughs> I'm afraid that, you know, like these days it's not just adapting. It's like, I, I feel like we all have to be really skillful I know for a fact, every single one of you guys are because you can't work in the, the work that we do. You can't do the things that we do without staying sharp and constantly learning. So that's part of the reason I have this show so I can learn from our guests. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I have to say that, um, that point alone is why I absolutely love doing what I do. My, I have a very short attention span and I get bored very quickly. And the fact that everything in this industry changes on literally a daily basis and you have to stay sharp, you have to stay on your toes and there's always something new. Every day you wake up, all of a sudden there's been an algorithm change and how does that impact everybody? <laughs> I yeah. love, I think that's the, the most thrilling part. I don't know if it's safe to say that as a geek, I get an adrenaline kick out of this. Uh, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. I watch, I, the, the weekly uh, social media examiner show that's, that's, I know it's on Crowdcast, but a lot of people watch it on Facebook live, I think, but I still go to the Crowdcast uh, version of it. Like that's a must, that's a must participate, must watch, must, must listen. So um, Kiki, did you pick up on, you know, that Jen works for social media examiner? Okay. I didn't realize until, <laughs> until just earlier when she was introducing herself and I was like, Oh my God, this is so cool. You know? And so, and I, I was having a little imposter uh, complex issue that was springing up, but then I'm like, no, no, Kiki, you're okay. You're okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'd, I'd also like to throw in the other little ace in my pocket as far as learning, continual learning and getting all of the breaking news. And that has been the social media marketing society put on by social media examiner. So I've been a member of that society since they opened the doors what, three years ago. And that is how I've extended that networking one-to-one -one with other marketers. That's how I've stayed kind of sharp and on top of everything. And that's where I get most of my breaking news. So that's See, the I've other thought about joining that. Yeah. I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to talk to you after the show. <laughs> 
It's an amazing network. It really is. Our members yeah. are fantastic. That's cool. I love it. So actually, that's a great segue into what I wanted to talk about next. We already talked about live a little bit, and that's obviously hot and continues to be hot. So I'm curious, and I know we know how Kiki uses it. So, but I want to know from Amanda, how, how you're using live for your for your own business. And then I want to hear from you both how you're recommending it as a strategy for your clients, if you are, and how that's kind of going. So uh, Amanda, what are you doing with live for your clients and for yourself? For myself, not as much as I should be because, you know, to Kiki's point earlier, you know, what is it? Paint your own house. I don't paint my own house. I always say it's like a, like an auto mechanic with a broken car. So I I don't do enough for myself as I should, but every time I do, honestly, it's amazing. Every time I, I go live, whether it's on my personal or my business, it, ends up creating a new connection. Somebody else ends up reaching out to me and starts a conversation and brings me down a whole different path that I had never expected. But then from the metrics, analytics, and results side of things, there's no question that Facebook Live produces higher results than a natively uploaded video or a YouTube link or most other post um, types of post content. So doing live video is something that absolutely must be in your roster or in your client's roster. And I have clients that are very uncomfortable with doing it. And I make it my absolute mission to drill down, focus on it, do everything in my power, everything in their power to get their comfort zone up to speed as quickly as we can, because there's no question, if you want the results, that's what you need to have in your repertoire, in your mix, get comfortable with it. It doesn't have to be perfect, but you do have to be doing it. Right. Well, and and then that's where authenticity comes into play. People know that they're they're being real and their community can an audience and potential customers can engage with them, right? So in a way that would not happen any in any other environment. And the one, the one tip I will say for doing any type of Facebook live for instructing clients on how to do it. Yes. There's that hurdle of getting over the barrier of actually just going live and being comfortable with that. But then there's that second stage of making sure that anytime that you're flipping that camera on live, that you're providing value to the people who are watching you. So you're not just, you're not just getting on and serving yourself. You're not just saying what you need to say for the sake of you. You're saying what you need to say. So it's benefiting and providing value to them. And if you just, keep that in mind every time you flip that camera on live then you you i don't want to say you can't go wrong (laughs) (laughs) yeah all right well and that's why we do happen (laughs) (laughs) our mid-month show for this podcast is we're is live. So it's a shorter show. Um, for me, it was a way, it was like a sort of compromise to, to not just not spend less time, but you know, like to ha- have, have another platform and show, walk the walk, right. Mm-hmm. Show, show people what they can do while you're, while you my guests are teaching our guests are teaching them. Kiki, what about you? Yeah. Well, everything she said, I totally 100% agree. Yeah. It's right now being able to provide some sort of moving image element is going to help you. It's going to help you uh, with everything. So I think that, you know, obviously you, you talked about it. We've talked about it before the, the live element for me personally is super important. I use it every week. I I don't know how you could ignore it. I just, I don't know how you could not recommend. It's, It's good for user experience. It's good for retention. Like it's good for engagement. It's good for telling a story. You know, it's good for simplifying a complicated 
subject, you know, like blockchain, you know, it's like who would really understand blockchain if you read something about it, you have to actually, you know, see, see things sort of mapped out. So I think that, I think that you can't, you can't ignore the power. I think that maybe her point, Amanda's point about focusing on the value, you can't, you can't, stated enough, like underline it, bold it, put, put stars, the shiny stars all around it, because that's what I see happening too often where it isn't focused on providing the value first and whether, whether it's video or whether it is so many people are getting so good at blocking out useless information um, and self-serving and advertise anything that smacks of advertising or promotional type stuff. We're, we're getting really good at trying to just ignore it, move past it as quickly as possible or sign up for tools that will block it from our view. So figuring out how our messages can provide that value, whether that's entertainment or information that is, is really important, that focus is, is supreme. So is, is that why there's the value in live video versus, I mean, cause a lot of what you've talked about is just video, right? It's like, Hey, provide valuable content. It needs to be, you know, moving image that could be a recorded video, right? Yeah. Are you saying because, you know, because we're overwhelmed with you know, content overload, is there something t- to the fact that it's live? Like, Oh, I want to jump in and consume this while it's happening. Like, and I'm part of something? Is that the value that the live brings? So I think so, because it's, so it adds the authenticity because you don't have time to edit it. Right. So it adds that it's happening right in front of you. Somebody isn't able to edit out ums. They are there. It's all the ums are there for all the world to see, (laughs) you know, and, and in addition to that, you know, it's also that the value, yeah, if, if somebody's not providing the value, people can jump real fast from that video and they're not going to engage. So think about the best live videos that you see. It's always something where somebody is saying, here's, hey guys, they're engaging with the people who are there. They are offering something. They're saying like, I'm so glad, you know, that I'm talking to you. Like, here's the behind the scenes thing. And I, here's my friend so-and-so. And, you know, they're really awesome to know. And it feel, you're offering value through not just your experience and not just, you know, like this behind the scenes view, but the idea that it's real, that's actually real. It's not Photoshopped. It's not created and edited beyond all belief. It's not super, even though you can add filters, it's not super filtered that, you know, it's not, it's not real anymore. So, okay. So I am super bummed, but we're running low on time. So I'm going to do a little uh, power round as we look at small dog. He's so stinking cute. If you only you could see him. Um, (laughs) If only this was live video. So, all right. I have two final questions going to be tough. One of them is going to be really tough to answer like in one or two sentences. But okay. The first question is if you could just give one piece of advice, something that maybe you haven't said already, because obviously we've, you got a lot, dropped a lot of knowledge knowledge bombs on us. If you just one piece of advice to anyone wanting to develop a digital strategy, what would it be, Kiki? Uh, oh God, this is so hard. The one piece of advice I give somebody about their social media strategy, I think it would be to probably to really dial in on what it is that you're the message that you're really trying to send out. What is it you're trying to achieve? Like, why are you doing this? Why? So maybe it goes to maybe, maybe it's like, you know, look at Simon Sinek's start with why and, and like, let's approach it that way. But 
But seriously, why are you doing it in the first place? Because if you can't clarify that and you're not clear on that, you're never going to be truly successful at anything you're trying to do with your social media strategy. That's a great point. Amanda? Okay, I'm going to share... The one thing I'm going to share more on the technical side, if I can give advice to jack up your social media in any way or your digital marketing in any way, shape or form, learn Google Analytics and learn how to use UTM tracking codes. It sounds complicated, but if you just put in a little bit of effort, a little bit of time, Google Analytics is not the mysterious, scary world that it appears when you first log in and tracking codes are not as difficult as they seem once you once you get rolling with that all of a sudden it's like it's like if you're in a video game and you just unlocked like 16 levels higher like it's just nice. it will supercharge your abilities to market smarter make your marketing dollars so much more efficient and give you visibility to what's actually happening underneath the hood instead of just assuming you know yeah well or in my case punt and hire someone who, who that's their jam. Like I know Jen has Julie and I have JD who helps me with that stuff because I know I'm not great at that stuff. Like, and I've really tried, like I stopped even going to those sessions at world because I don't, I just don't absorb it. I can't, I just don't like it. And you know, I don't want to do what I don't like either. So I find someone who's better at it for my clients. Okay. Perfect. So one last thing, Amanda uses chatbots and I already heard this, but I used her chatbot yesterday because I realized that I, I don't know, I went to, I went to try to find her email address on her website and she's smart and she doesn't have it on there, which I figured, but I thought maybe, but she's got a chatbot that I got to, and I, and I'm, I we're friends on Facebook, but I was able to message her, mes- message her from that. And so I was like, Oh, this is cool. I want to see how it works. So I know this is really hard, but we're, we're, we're winding down just a couple sentences on your use of chatbots and what it's done for your business, Amanda. Okay. So just to put this in perspective, I just talked about this recently with a real estate client that I have, I have like a coming soon listing and I'm running a chat bot on that with a comment trigger. So somebody comments the keyword on that Facebook post, it launches the chat bot, which then gives them examples of interior photos of the property, listing stats, ways to contact the agent, book a showing all of that lovely stuff. Well, regardless of the subject matter, the fact of the matter is that by posting a chat bot with comment trigger, it has increased organic engagement on that post, which equivalent posts would have had just a fraction of the engagement. I have so many comments, so many clicks, so much engagement activity happening on this one particular post that it should be illegal. Like I, I'm, I'm, I'm really worried that eventually Facebook is going to become wise to this and start to, you know, shift down the algorithm when a chatbot is being used. But you see all indications are going the opposite way where they are making improvements to messengers to make it more chatbot friendly and to give developers more tools and more resources to create better conversational chatbots. So that's one example. And it, it, I've used this time and time again. I've used chatbots in quite a few different creative ways. And the bottom line is they are increasing engagement. It's unbelievable. Well, and just as a plug, if you didn't attend Social Media Marketing World, you can still buy the virtual ticket. There were tons of sessions there on chatbots and some presenters that did a really, really good job of explaining what they are and why you need to use them and, and giving really practical tips and, and tools to use. So yeah, so I would say do that to learn more. Obviously you can Google it, but you might as well just, you know, go to the source real quick. Kiki, are you using chatbots at all with your, with, for yourself, or your clients? I am not, but I'm going to have to start after hearing yeah. about that. Cause <laughs> <laughs> they're, well, they're, I, new. they're so new. It's, I know. it's all, I, yeah. 
Well, and you know, it's like, so I have a couple that where that I've really enjoyed interacting with them, but for the most part, I'm like kind of skeptical and I've been kind of watching the use and misuse of them so far. So, but I mean, Amanda's convinced me nice. I, that's what I need to do next. So well, I will tell you that building a chatbot is easy, but doing it right and doing it well is hard. So yeah, yeah. You, definitely, you definitely have to find one that works well for you. Yeah. I should provide the link after for the, the Valentine's chatbot that I did, which was just for fun. It was just for kicks and giggles. Okay. Um, drop, drop it in the chat and then I'll, and I'll include it in the push notes. I mean, Elizabeth, yeah. Elizabeth works for a company called Sciencio that, you know, that's their, that's their jam. They do, they do chatbots. They have an we event. We do chatbots for events, right? Which yeah. are actually very different than chatbots you'd use for marketing. Which so. social media marketing world should be using to make the work that their team does a lot less cumbersome while they're on site. Jen and, I will, Jen and I will talk about Same. that. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So this has been the most amazing hour. So happy that, that this, this worked out. Amanda and Kiki, thank you so much. Can you um, let us know, let our listeners know the best way to find you, Kiki? Okay, amplifygrowth.net. My name, Kiki Latalian, is very unique. So I'm at Kiki Latalian on Instagram, Twitter, just everything. Hard to spell but you'll find me. <laughs> Indeed. Amanda? You can find me at socialsavvysociety.com on Facebook, Facebook slash Social Savvy Society, which is probably the best and fastest way to get a hold of me. And uh, just throw a curveball in there. I am at She Wakeboards on uh, Twitter and Instagram, which is a carryover from my, my old days when I used to compete at wakeboarding. What? That's awesome. Yeah, totally. All right. And thank you, Jan and Elizabeth. As always such a pleasure. I uh, can't say how much I appreciate everybody being on. This has been episode 11 of Making a Marketer, and we will catch you next time. 